Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a really intense and special one. I didn't record it in the room with Dean uh, because we're in different states and I don't normally do that. We did it over the internet on a thing called Zencaster. I'm going to try and make the sound quality as good as possible but I think it was worth having this conversation. Dean is a novelist and an intensive care nurse, and he's been a listener of the podcast for a while. And he's facing down a really significant surgery tomorrow morning. And I hit him up. um, I read a blog post of his and hit him up about it because I wanted to know if he would like to talk about it. uh, And if he wanted to talk about it with me just generally. And then again, if he'd like to talk about it on the podcast because it's uh, awful and interesting and I thought that it was a conversation worth having uh, even if we couldn't be in the room together and because it's a time-sensitive conversation uh, we had it tonight and I'm putting it up tonight Uh, and if you would like to uh, look Dean up on the internet um, please do that and uh, yeah have a listen to this conversation I'd be interested to know what you think Uh, you're having tea with Alice now your voice is very clear right how am I in your ears right yeah yeah okay so tell me about the tea so I'm just having a standard Twining's Earl Grey um, very boring today. Um, I would usually have uh, my T2 chai that I get from Rundle Street, but I haven't had a chance to get up there this week to get it. So, um, so I'm going boring this week. Going boring milk and sugar? Uh, no, just milk. I don't take sugar anymore. I've given up um, sugar in my tea. So. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> For health reasons or just? Um, yeah, I... <sighs> I'm trying to cut down on sugar, generally speaking. Um, I, I think I've just started to believe that sugar's bad, so um, I'm trying to cut it out wherever I can. But um, my mother-in-law bakes this wicked fruitcake with um, the marzipan icing, and she's just dropped a massive slab around to us this week. And, um, yeah, it's sort of undoing all my good work, so. <laughs> well, uh <laughs> You're in sort of tip-top condition to go under the knife tomorrow, which is what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about that or do you have any other difficult ideas? Um, no, we can start with that. That's fine. Well, first tell us uh, who you are just for my audience. You're a novelist. That's right. Um, so I'm a novelist and I'm also an intensive care nurse down here in Adelaide. Um, I've been a nurse for about 20 years. Uh, fresh out of high school, I went straight to uh, university and did my nursing degree and then uh, launched into this nursing career. And I guess about halfway through that, um, I decided that I wanted to fulfil my lifelong dream of being a writer. So I started writing. Um, and at the time that I began writing, I, I kind of never thought that I'd ever get published. So I just... Um, I don't know, took the advantage of the web and started a blog and started blogging my story. And I ended up getting discovered by a Canadian publisher 
who really liked what I was doing. And um, they suggested that I should consider taking this seriously. So what I was doing on the web, on my blog, I actually stopped doing it to that and um, started doing it properly uh, behind the scenes and angered a lot of people that were starting to follow me. So, um, so these people got angry that they weren't getting this content for free. Well, not not so much for free. It's just I had a lot of people that were really loving this story that I was telling. And when I said to them, look, I've, I've stopped it because something is about to happen here. And if you can stick with me for a little bit, um, I'll be able to announce something properly. And so I'd submitted the manuscript for this novel um, to this publisher. And about a week later, they sent me a contract Um to publish what became my first novel. And so when I announced that, it was kind of like, um, yeah, this kind of dream come true that came true in a roundabout fashion. So That's really exciting. Yeah. And it's good that you have that channel and that voice. You've just published your, what, third novel? Yeah, that's right. Um, my third novel, The Recipient, um, was launched back on the 1st of May. Um And that's in stores now all over the world in um, print and digital, um, which has been really exciting. Um, My publisher signed with a distributor uh, late last year and that enabled us to get access to, you know, a much larger market than what we had previously. So it's sort of next level stuff now. So, yeah, I'm kind of... um, I'm getting reports from all over the place that, uh, yeah, my book's turning up in, you know, stores as far away as, you know, Aberdeen in Scotland, you know, right through to, oh gosh, I think Peru has got copies of it on the shelves in Peru. So, and this has all come from people that I've interacted with online over the, uh, the last few years. So that's really amazing. So I can't quite get my head around that. Pretty good. I mean, comedy, you get immediate feedback. I imagine with writing, there's much less. No, you work in isolation for such a long time um, and everybody sort of thinks you're a bit crazy um, because you're toiling away on this kind of thing that they can't actually see and and they can't offer feedback on straight away. And, And so you only get to you know, present that to the world a long time after you begin doing it. And so for me, um, there's a lot riding on, on what I do because, you know, I've with the recipient, for example, like I, I invested, you know, two and a half to three years of my life into that project and, and I, I didn't know how it was going to be received until I got it out there, you know, a month ago or three weeks ago. Um, that's terrifying to me. Do you think there's something similar in what you do in intensive care in that, I mean, you don't always get grateful patients. It's not the most, you don't get that constant feedback. And, in fact, sometimes you're looking after people who are not going to survive. No. Um, yeah, what what I see as an intensive care nurse is, is people uh, at their worst in terms of, you know, health um, and, you know, a lot of them are, are either 
um, unconscious or you know in a controlled coma for um, the reasons of their medical condition. Um, and they might leave the unit before I get to see them uh, leave the unit, you know, either in a good way or a bad way. So I don't necessarily see outcomes straight away. But um, recently... That requires a particular kind of strength of character, I think. As a comedian, I'm constantly getting feedback and, and moment to moment whether some, knowing whether something's working or whether I'm doing a good job. I imagine that... Uh, I would have a great difficulty doing the kind of work that you do. Um, yeah, I, I, I find I, I, I can't. I have difficulty with that observation only because I think that I think that anybody is capable of rising to a challenge, you know, if they're if they're faced with it. And I think, you know, watching you as I have um, over the last couple of years. Um, I think it's incredibly courageous for you to actually get up on stage and um, and deliver a set of ideas and, and challenge an audience in the way that you do. Um, and how that audience may respond to you is unpredictable. So there's a lot that's unpredictable in what you do. And there's a lot that's unpredictable. I don't think I can feel this kind of compliment on my own podcast. I think it'll make me look real conceited if I don't cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think I think there's a lot that's unpredictable in what we do. Um, and maybe that's why I love comedy and, and the spoken word. Um, yeah, and especially, you know, looking around at an audience that's watching a particular show, you, you just don't know how how they're going to react to, a, you know, a performance or, yeah. I'm getting yeah, into a, it's a fairly weird area interesting now. Interesting one. Well, I did, I, I did a gig today for a, a corporate gig, which is always um, confronting, and it was a very mixed group of uh, public servants of in all different areas of the public service so all these different sectors childcare and and every everything um and i was at the end of a very long two-day conference and i got the the note don't make fun of public service uh don't do anything political because they're very split politically <laughs> you know, certain, you know in terms of that but you know something relatively topical or what have you would be good and i walked on stage and the first thing I said was, hey, everyone, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate what you guys do. Uh, if you'd like to look around at the people around you and, and I, I want to celebrate how diverse a group of people you are, how many different kinds of people there are, and I just want you to acknowledge that I am not going to make all of you happy. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, how, how do you do that? How do you make that work? And I just thought, that, there's, that that is a great caveat, it. isn't it? Yeah, well, there's just no way. There's just no way that you can make everyone, two hundred people, in that room of that mix at that time of day in that environment. Yeah, and it's public service. They're so reactionary, you know. Well, they also weren't there to watch comedy either. So there's many different things at play. Uh, they were there to 
have this conference and I was at the end of the conference. So for some of them, I'm just in the way of them getting home. Uh, and, uh, that's an, it was a really interesting gig and I think I did all right and managed to push some envelopes despite that. It's still not the most interesting note I've got before a corporate gig. So no, no, the most interesting one was the, uh, Jewish, uh, the Jewish gig where they said, could you just avoid any jokes that delegitimize the state of Israel? Oh, I remember you saying that one. That was, uh. Still my favourite. Wow. Still my favourite. Yep. I love that. And you're um, you're probably more justified in having a dig at that segment than anybody, just, you know, knowing your background. Yeah, well, I think anyone can take a dig at anyone. It just depends on the, on the sharpness of your blade. For sure. I... Uh, so, speaking of blades, how are you feeling? Do yeah. you want to tell people what's happening? Uh, yeah, so uh, just a, a bit of background. So, just before Christmas last year, I was um, I developed this uh, this funny snore, and so I was snoring in the middle of the night, and it really my partner sort of had, um, alerted me to it, and. Um, of course, as as most men do, they, they get all stubborn and bent and twisted about snoring. And um, when your partner has to leave the bedroom, it's um, <laughs> it doesn't do much for your uh, your confidence. But um, and then and then Emily took the next step and she actually recorded me. Uh. And so after I got over myself, <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to the recording and. The minute that I listened to the recording, my clinical, um, the clinical side of myself went into overdrive and I said, hang on, there's something not right about this. Aha, uh-huh. as a nurse, you know and, the sound of not right. Yeah, and so I, I made a, an appointment with my GP and went and spoke with my GP about it and then um, I eventually uh, got a referral to a specialist, a ear, nose and throat specialist here in Adelaide and... Um, I went and saw him and he examined me and we put a little camera down into my into my throat in his rooms which was you know not a not an unpleasant experience but kind of weird because they they actually feed this camera up into your nasal cavity and and it goes down the back of your throat. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and you had this anesthetic spray that um that he sprays the back of your your throat with through your through your nose and it numbs it all and you don't actually feel the camera but and so anyway he gets the camera down into the region of my voice box and he sort of went aha and what we discovered was is that a part of my airway in the region of my voice box on the right hand side had basically collapsed in so if you can imagine you know a tube or a hose with a Kind of I a can floppy, imagine a tube. Yeah, with a floppy, <laughs> with a floppy, um, with a floppy side of it. Um, mm. And so what had happened was, is that a nerve, there's a nerve that supplies both sides of your throat um, in that area, and the nerve on the right hand side has basically become dysfunctional, and why we don't know. Um, initially, it was feared that. I had some sort of lesion um, or tumour 
growing out from that um, that nerve. Scary. But uh, a scan was done and it revealed that there was nothing like that, but that the nerve itself was quite edematous and, you know, it, it appeared that it was dysfunctional. And so we had this, uh, I had this procedure done where he actually went in and he actually applied a laser to the right-hand side of my throat in the area of my voice box. And what that was supposed to do was to actually burn a section of my throat and create some scar tissue, which would actually act as a kind of um, a bolstering, sort of thickening, uh, how would you say it? How would you describe it? Callus. Yeah, almost. basically, yeah, form a callus that would actually stop the airway from flopping in. Um, and so I had that done about six weeks ago. Um, but it didn't quite go the way we'd hoped. Um, and it's actually got to the point now where things are, are quite a lot worse. So I met with my surgeon a week ago, uh, 10 days ago now. And uh, he had a look down there with the camera again, you know, the spray to the back of the throat and a weird camera feeling. And, and it, it, it turns out that we've got to go back in and we've actually got to remove a part of my vocal cords um, and specifically a little bone that actually anchors the right vocal cord to the area of the throat in that you know in the voice box and so the net result of that is is that um, I, I've got to sacrifice my voice so now you Do you know how much of your voice will be gone? And you're speaking about this in a very clinical way. Yep. As though you are both doctor and patient or nurse and patient. Yep. Is that is that the way that you can approach it or is that your, your way of getting through it? Well, um, if I go back a step, uh, the other symptoms that I was having um, involved uh, dysfunction with my swallowing. Okay, so um, I would be eating food and drink, and I would occasionally have these massive coughing fits and choking fits because what was happening? Because the airway is dysfunctional, as I said before, food was actually getting past my um, my that junction in the airway where your, your, your esophagus and your, becomes your airway. And so instead of food going down into my tummy the way it's supposed to, it was actually going down into my, into my lungs. That happened with my mum towards the end. It's not a n nice thing. No, it's not at all. And, and see, with the, with the floppiness of the airway and the area, a, a kind of pouch had formed. And so food would actually get caught in that pouch and it would actually stay there. Um, and in the middle of the night, when I was sound asleep, um, it would become dislodged and get sucked into the into my airway. And so I'd wake up at three in the morning, you know, coughing and choking, and you know. Um, and so the big risk with that is that if if I don't do something about this, I'll end up, you know, choking in the middle of the night and potentially, you know, dying. So. So it's not, 
it's a difficult thing, but it's not a difficult call to make. No. So if I'm if I'm brutally clinical with this, it's either it's either sacrifice my voice or die. Yes. And so. And this is happening tomorrow morning. That's right. Yep. So we're recording this at. Uh, you know, a bit before six o'clock in the evening, your time in Sydney. And so I'm going off to work tonight because that's what I do. I go to work and uh, I've already arranged it. Um, I'm going to finish work at about uh, quarter past six in the morning. And then I'm going to walk straight down to the admissions desk and uh, and go through the admission. Um, and I would expect that sometime around eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I'd be going in to have this operation done. So... So this is sort of, I mean, first of all, good on you. You wouldn't have slept anyway. No. Um, and at least this way you get a nap after your shift. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and then uh, secondly, how do you feel about this being one of the last times that people will hear your voice as it is? Because I assume you'll have some voice left. It's incredibly strange feeling, Alice, um, because I've been so uh, about, pragmatic about the situation. I haven't really given much thought to the emotional side of it, probably until today. Like I actually woke up about one o'clock this afternoon, and um, I couldn't sleep, and it was just the situation was playing over in my mind, and. Um, uh, and I think, like, you became aware of of what was going on because you saw a blog post that I'd written earlier in the week. And I had this panic attack um, earlier in the week about the situation. Yeah. And so at 11 o'clock at night, I, I thought, I need to get this out somehow. And the only way I could think of doing it was by blogging it. And so... Um, I know that urge is where most of my poetry comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I've never usually been given to doing that sort of thing and being so personal because um, it's not it's not really in my nature. But uh, I've been working with uh, a therapist recently and what we've been trying to do is uh, try trying to get me or encourage me to be less closed up about things like this and less closed up about personal things and and so that sort of came to my mind the other night and then I penned this piece for my blog and it went up and um, I've kind of been a bit bowled over by the response to it so um mm. People care about you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do, um, which is really lovely. Um, and I think that it, when I sort of wrote it, I, I kind of thought, oh, look, you know, this is just me sort of being a bit kind of look at me, look at me. But um, the more I've sort of thought about it, uh, the the more I sort of think, wow, this is um, this is kind of big. 
Yeah, it's not over dramatic to be feeling strong emotions in the face of losing one of the faculties that most people take for granted. Yeah, and and we do take our voice for granted. We do take our ability to communicate for granted, I think, so much. Um, and so the challenge for me now is is how do I d adapt once that's taken away, so... I mean, do they know how much voice you'll have left or will you have some and just lose some expressiveness or is that to be discovered when you wake up tomorrow? A lot of it will be discovered. Um, I, I kind of got a sneak preview of what it was going to be like uh, a few weeks ago because when I had the, that first procedure done, I didn't have a voice for about a week and and when I did actually try to use my voice um it was incredibly painful and um one of my kids actually downloaded an app for my smartphone and it blows my mind that they were able to have their foresight to do that but it's a text-to-speech um app and basically you type in what you want to say and and this lovely kind of English female voice recites it for you and uh, I actually felt kind of cool for a couple of days because I sounded like Fiona Bruce from the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> so I was running around the house, you know, or going around the house, you know, in the evenings saying, come on, children, it's time to brush your teeth for bed, you know, and sounding all, you know, Fiona Bruce and very English. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you can't yell, you know, like, and you need to yell when your kids aren't going to do what you want them to do. Because it's yeah. never it's never a case of, come on, children, it's time to brush your teeth, and they dutifully get up and they go to the bathroom to brush their teeth. It's usually about a half a dozen requests to do so, and then it's a couple of F-bombs here and there, which, you know, kind of makes me feel bad because I don't like swearing in front of my children. So, Well, I mean, this is going to... Uh, expand your capacity to express yourself through things other than volume, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, uh, one of the things I said in my blog post, though, um, like I have a, a six-year-old daughter and when she was first born, I, I read somewhere that, you know, it's really nice to read to your new child to get them used to the sound of your voice. Yeah. And I like that idea. And so I just happened to pick up a book called um, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Mm -hmm. And um, I started reading that to her and, uh, you know, I sort of walk around the house and the back garden, you know, cradling my daughter in one arm and, you know, this book in the other and just reading passages for it. And it was really lovely because it was this series of letters that um, – it was an exchange between a, a World War II-era London journalist and these, you know, quirky, eclectic folk on the island of Guernsey. And, uh, you know, this, through this sort of lovely evolving story, um, I got to sort of, you know, get Lucy used to the sound of my voice. And I, I keep promising her that I'd read it to her again. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to keep that promise at this stage. 
which is kind of disappointing. So that is uh, incredibly hard. That's incredibly yeah. hard to come to terms with. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how things are going to pan out going forward, but, um, yeah. It's like one of those, one of those horrible thought experiments, isn't it? Where people say, would you rather lose your hands or your voice or your hearing or your sight? Yeah. Legs or arms. And we're so flippant about those sorts of things. And, I mean, look, pragmatically speaking, um, it's not like I'm going to lose a limb or, you know, my sight or um, my hearing. It's my voice, you know, and... Like, your voice is precious. It really is precious. Yeah, and it's something that we don't think of as being so much of our identity, I think. Mm. Mm. And it is. I mean, it's if you think about how disconcerting it is the first time you hear your voice recorded and realise that you don't sound outside your head the way you sound inside your head, yeah, that moment right. of disorientation... <laughs> I imagine is a really, really minor version of the disorientation you'll you'll feel tomorrow, mm. realizing that that not only does your voice not sound the same outside of your head, it will never sound the same again. No, that's right. So, and so yeah, um, yeah. Actually, just speaking to you now, I'm just sort of running into this kind of wall of, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> oh, I don't want to make it harder for oh, you. Oh, no, 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 not at all. Um, I, I'm I'm really, I feel really privileged that uh, you offered me the chance to actually speak because um, obviously I've been a fan of yours for a while now and um, this this is actually really special to me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty special to me as well. I think it's it's one of those things that I thought when I read your blog post and I thought if you'd let me, and it was going to be a couple of days ago and it fell through because of various various busynesses on both our parts, yeah, sure. mainly on mine, and then it was coming up of like, oh, well, I can't do it this morning, I can't do it this afternoon. Oh, I have to, <laughs> I have to do it. I have to do it if it's going to be done and I want it I want to to get it done and the way that it's worked out now is that it's sort of really at the last minute mm. Mm. Uh, which feels strange for me and I imagine extremely strange for you. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um I don't dislike my voice like you were saying before about that awkward uh sensation of hearing your voice recorded for mm. the first first time you sort of hear it and you're just like you don't sound the way you think you sound but um i've done enough sort of public speaking now to know that um 
how my voice sounds. And I'm kind of used to the way my voice sounds, but um, and I like it. I like it. It's a it's a it's a little bit deep, and it's um. You have a lovely voice. Yeah. So I'm probably going to treasure this podcast. Well, you should. Mm. Do you have a favourite poem or a favourite short story? Uh, oh, there's many things that I that I love, the pieces I love. So actually, um, there's a, a a fellow who's actually published by my publisher, and he lives in um, he lives in South Africa, and his name's Ian S. Thomas, and he wrote a book a few years ago called "I Wrote This for You." Um, and there, his work is some some of the among some of the most simplest and profound poetry that I think I've ever read. And now you've caught me on the hop because I can't remember it, any particular piece that he's written. But um, do you have any to hand? I'll have to look. Let me look. Let me let me pull something up here. Um, let's, let's. Because... let's have a look. I don't like uh, I don't like dead air, but you know. Yeah, people can entertain themselves. Yeah, yeah. If they're listening, it's probably on their phone. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say I'll cut it out, yeah. uh, but I almost definitely won't. So uh, I'll just Here we go. let Here. people check their email. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. Here's, uh, here's one that I saved actually. So so this is called The First Time We Met by um, e s Thomas. And uh, it's when you hold eye contact for that second too long or maybe the way you laugh it sets off a flash in our memories take a picture of who we are at that point when we first know this is love and we clutch that picture to our hearts because we expect each other to always be the people in that picture but people change people aren't pictures and you can either take a new picture or throw the old one away so that's kind of lovely that is lovely. Mm. That's really a beautiful poem. Yeah. Where where can people find him online? Yeah, he's um he's an amazing wordsmith. Um and he has such a great following around the world. But he's not like um he should be in the published public consciousness more, I think, because of his words. But uh, poetry is that sort of funny thing. It, it kind of occupies a space on the fringe, and it's just not quite. It's just not quite where it should be. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's a difficult thing. People are intimidated by the idea of it in a way that they're not necessarily intimidated by things like comedy or even spoken word. Mm. Um, poetry is seen as, I mean, obscure and, and haughty in some way. I think the romantics shot themselves in the foot a little bit by 
by marketing poetry as a form of divine inspiration yeah in such a you know in such a sort of ineffable way oh it's not that i worked really hard it's that it's that it came to me in a dream you know mm. that kind of rubbish and i think it's made people a bit afraid of poetry but if you read uh stephen fry's the ode less traveled it's a really good argument for poetry as fun and the idea of poetry as as a worthwhile expression in the same way as picking up the guitar is a worthwhile expression even if you're not the best guitarist in the world and we have this false idea that if you're a poet you have to be the best poet in the world immediately and otherwise it's not worth it's not worth playing with words unless you're going to make masterpieces and we don't hold that standard for any other form of art someone can be a crappy painter and they just do it because it's fun or a crappy potter and just enjoy it mm. and you can enjoy what they do without criticism someone pulls out a guitar and plays some beatles songs around a campfire and you're not you're not in you know you're not calling to to mind jimi hendrix and comparing them unfavorably with him yeah sure yeah it's really um really lovely yeah it's a really good book you should read mm. it one of those ones where I've ended up buying about eight copies of it and <laughs> giving him them to people uh, because I think it's such a worthwhile way to look at the world. Yeah, sure. For sure. So before I wrap this up, yep. uh, what are the three things that you would most like to say and have heard? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Uh, three things that I'd like to say. Um, oh, God, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to have them right. There's no way to get these kind of things right. But particularly in the context of, of such a loaded situation, but maybe not the three things, just three things that you would like to say and have heard. Um, well, I think the, I think love your voice is perhaps the most, uh, the one that comes to mind straight up because, because what I was saying before about, um, taking your voice for granted, uh, when you're faced with something like this, um, you realize just how precious, uh, that, that voice is. And so it's very easy to sort of become, you know, just to expect that it's there because, and I think... It, it always has been. Sorry? Because it always has been. Exactly. It's always, it always has been. So, you know, you just, it, you just, you, you take it for granted as much as you take living and breathing for granted. So, so I love your voice. Um Uh, hand shot first. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You've been listening to the Comedy Film Nerds podcast. Oh, yeah, I listen to those guys too much. So They're good boys. Yeah, yeah. And um, my pa, who 
he's been dead now for 30 years, I suppose. Um, tw- hang on, where are we? 2016. Yeah, yeah, sorry, not quite. Let's say 23 years. He always said to me um, when I was growing up, you've got to bite off more than you can chew in life and then chew like buggery. <laughs> and that's, that's something that's always sort of uh, stuck with me. And I, it's fairly simple and I, it's a kind of advice that comes from another time, but I think, I think it still applies today. Um, well, it's that kind of advice where of, of a generation of men who found it difficult to say things like embrace challenge or, you know, they had to, they had to couch things in very concrete terms to be able to feel like they were men. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. And, I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, celebrated his 16th birthday on the battlefields of Palestine in World War Two. so... God. Um, and then, you know, saw most of World War Two um, before he was 20. Um, so, yeah, when you come back from that, you, um, you've just got to embrace life and take as much of it as you can and just live it. So that's the kind of... Um, the new age kind of hipster <laughs> way of couching that. So that's a good, that's a good message. Hmm. Well, if I, uh, if you'd like, uh, and you don't have to do this if you don't want to, after your operation, you can write me a letter. I'm sure people would want to know how you go after, and I'll read it out on the podcast. That'd be really lovely. Yeah, I'd love Even though it won't be in your voice. I'd love to do that. Um, I'm a, I write stories and um, I will continue to write stories. In, so that's, that's probably not going to change. So um, That's good. And, then, and I imagine those things will become more important to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah. As a- uh, words are words are kind of fun. I love them. I love I love them too. Where can people follow you uh, online? Um, my website is uh, deanfromaustralia.com and that's pretty much uh, all you need to know um, because it has links to my Twitter and my Facebook uh, page and and I'd love it if people could visit because. I like interacting with people, um, you know, in the same way that you and I have just now. So um, I love to kind of talk over ideas and just talk generally. So my favourite thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to need to do that more because um, I'll otherwise be silent. So. So look Dean up online, um, tweet us or whatever, hit us up on whatever channel you find. Uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Alice. I really appreciate it, really do. 
I'll keep talking to you, but I'm going to hang up on behalf of the listener. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you now.